Amen. Didn't our band do a great job? Yes. Thanks, Dan, band, for leading us. Hey, kids, you can slide out to Redemption Kids. Um, and as they're sliding out, uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you've got one of the Bibles we provide, that's page 812. Kids, you can just follow our workers. If you're new and you've got a child, just follow our workers to the top there and they'll get you squared away. My name is John Chastine, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's my honor to bring God's Word with you today. Um, Before we jump into Matthew 7, I thought I'd give a a brief um, update on our adoption journey. Many of you guys have been asking, and first of all, let me just say, Lee and I have been overwhelmed um, with the many of you that have just invested in us, prayed for us, um, supported us. I mean, it's been a long journey. Um, The reality is, is that Lee and I fly out with our kids Tuesday morning to China uh, to adopt a six-year-old girl named Callan, and uh, we'll be there for a couple weeks. Yes, we're, uh, many of the the prayer points this past week, I was able to fly to New York City. I received my visa in hand this past Friday, uh, so a few days ago, so um, all of the boxes have been checked, and, and we're just really ready to receive, meet her, and uh, we just ask, would you continue to pray for us? Um, as we receive her, and in particular, we're just praying uh, for a quick attachment, um, and that God, as we've been preparing to receive her, that, that God would be working in her heart to receive a new family, and uh, anything that we face in the days ahead, we're confident that God will provide. So thank you for walking this journey with us, and uh, we're excited for the next few weeks and to see what the Lord provides and, and how he uh, brings her to us. Hey, if you're new with us, let me just give you a quick encouragement. On the way in, you received a worship guide. We'd love for you just to follow, uh, fill that out at the very bottom, the connect card. You can drop it in the basket on the way out as you leave, and we just love to thank you for worshiping with us. Well, as, as we look to Matthew 7 and the Sermon on the Mount, we are coming to the end of this sermon that started in Matthew chapter 5. And what Jesus has been doing is he's been teaching and walking his disciples through what this new normal is, what life in the kingdom looks like. And he's been teaching us along as as his disciples what it looks like for us to live in the kingdom. Let me just remind you, he started in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we went through the Beatitudes. And then he talked about Christ being the fulfillment of the law. And then he talked about anger. And he's calling us not to be angry with our brother. He talks about lust and adultery. And he calls us to a lifestyle of purity. And we go on and we see he's challenging us as we think about marriage and divorce and about our our words. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. He talks to us about retaliation. How do we treat our enemies? We love our enemies and we pray for them. He continues on and he talks about giving to the needy. And how we are to pray and store up treasures and and not worry, but have faith over worry. And we come to the section today, and it is vitally important as we reflect on all of these things that he's called us to do. Let me just ask you a question. As you look at the Sermon on the Mount, how many of you just feel overwhelmed at what life, the new normal, life in the kingdom looks like? Yeah, it's okay to raise your hand. Okay, I'm there with you. Like you hear these words like love your enemies and pray for them. Anybody find that easy? That is hard. 
Store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. This is why we need this passage today. One of the things I love about turning the leaf of a new year is that it's like a fresh start. So here's what I would like for us to do as a church. As, as we, this first Sunday in the new year, I want you to think about this. What is your life going to be shaped by in 2019? What's going to be the new normal for your life? If the virtues of the kingdom are going to radically shape our lives in 2019, we need to hear and respond to the words of Christ today. And they are good news because Jesus calls us to some really hard things. But he provides everything that we need. So read along with me in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. The word of God says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need your grace today. As we hear these words, ask, seek, knock, do unto others, enter the narrow gate. God, would you grant us grace to hear these, to receive these, and respond in obedience. God, would you reshape and and change the trajectory of our 2019? God, would the new normal, would your kingdom be our central pursuit this year? We pray. In Christ's name, amen. Here's the point. Persistently pursue God to multiply the values of the kingdom in your life in 2019. Persistently pursue God to multiply the values of the kingdom in your life in 2019. Here's what I want to do today. This word persistent. I'm going to keep coming back to that today because I think that is one of the thrusts of the text. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. It is a pursuit of God. It's not a one-time decision. The Christian life isn't, okay, I did that. I've checked off the box. It is a all of me, here I am. All day of every day. And so here's what we're going to do. We've got three sections that we're going to unpack today as we think about what it looks like in this year to persistently pursue God. And so let's just take this first, this first segment, which is verses 7 
through 11. And, and the main truth here is persistently pursue God. Jesus gives us these three commands in verse 7. Ask, seek, and knock. They are emphatic and they are present active. And so what that means here is as we hear these words, Jesus envisioned a repeated, continuous approach before God. It's not as if, hey, you ask and you're, you can move on to the next task in your, in your task management. It's you ask and you keep asking. You seek and you keep seeking. You knock and you keep knocking. But as we hear these commands, and they are commands, He's not offering a suggestion, but I don't want you to just hear these as commands today. Hear these as an invitation. Jesus is inviting you to the Father. He's inviting you to, to come to the Father to enjoy him and to receive what he has to give. He is inviting you to delight in and enjoy the Father's provision. We just did a brief overview of the Sermon on the Mount. All the hard things that he's asking us to do. And now he's saying, those very things that I've asked you to do, apart from God's grace, you can't do it. So ask, seek, knock, come to the Father. He's inviting you to the Father so that the virtues of the kingdom may be given and granted to you. So what are we asking for? We're asking for the very things he's just laid out in Matthew 5 through 7. We're asking for the virtues of the kingdom. Father, would you make me poor in spirit? Father, would you help me to mourn? Would you cultivate meekness? Would you give me a hunger and thirst for righteousness? God, would you increase mercy in my life? Would you give me a purity of heart? Would you help me be a peacemaker, not a peace faker or a peace breaker? And I could go on. I can't preach the whole sermon again today, though I want to. But as we come to the end of this sermon, this is how Jesus, he's saying, I've laid all this ask, these out. Now ask, come to the Father. And he gives us great news. What happens when you ask? What does it say? You can talk back to me today. Ask, and what? It's going to be given to you. Do you think the Father wants to withhold you when you ask and you pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done? No, he wants to grant that. He wants to give that, but you've got to ask. He's inviting you. He's not just commanding you. He's inviting you into a relationship with your father. D.A. Carson, one scholar, describes it this way. He says, Jesus here isn't inviting you into an occasional prayer time with God or an occasional pursuit. He's inviting you in prayer that's really a burning pursuit. Ask, seek, knock. He's inviting you to an, a burning pursuit of God. As I was studying this, Man, I could continue on with the psalmist here, but I hear the psalmist. Like in Psalm 27, 
I think we'll get on the screen here. It says this, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then he continues in verse eight, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I wanna plead with you, Redemption Hill. Your 2019 will be radically different. If you hear these words and say, here's my goal this year, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to seek, and I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to knock, and I'm going to keep knocking. We're asking for the virtues of the kingdom. We're seeking after God himself. Your face, Lord, I want to seek. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to walk daily in your presence. And I'm going to knock on the throne of heaven. I am going to knock, and I'm going to knock, and I'm going to keep knocking. The fact that Jesus ends his sermon with these commands and this invitation is a reminder that we don't enter the kingdom on our own merits. In fact, as we've studied through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we oftentimes probably come to the conclusion in, in John Chastain, I am unable to do what you command. I desperately need your spirit and your work in me to do this. We sang earlier the very first song, Give Me Faith. There's a bridge in there. How's the bridge go, Dan? I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. We hear these words and we're like, how, how am I going to consistently keep this? I am weak. I'm feeble. I am sinful. And Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Your father grants this. And so he ends this whole sermon to remind us, it's not on our own merits we enter the kingdom. And we don't earn our place in the kingdom. It is a gift. We come empty and God fills us. So he starts the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are just spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to give. I am empty. And he ends it with a reminder, you have nothing to give. You're empty. You need God's grace. That's what we need this year. In a consistent manner. The demands of the kingdom are impossible in part from, apart from a humble and persistent pursuit of God. Let me give you another reflection as I've been thinking about this. Ask, seek, and knock. And Jesus repeats it, right? You've got verse 7, ask, you'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, will be open. And he repeats it in verse 8 as if, hey, did you, you guys get this? Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. One other reflection I want to share with you is our temptation is to be picky in our asking, our seeking, and our knocking. But Jesus doesn't call us into that. He doesn't say, hey, look at the Sermon on the Mount, and hey, ask for the ones that, that, that you like, and the ones that you don't like, just don't ask for those. He's inviting us into a wholehearted, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not, he's not inviting us to pick and choose which of his commands or which of, his, which of these kingdom virtues 
that, that we want to align with, we come humbly and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are King. I'm asking for all of it. And I'm going to keep asking. But he also gives us some encouragements and promises to hold on to as we ask. Look back at verse 8. For everyone who asks. Hey, this is good news, guys. These verses aren't just for Pastor John. For everyone. Did you hear that? Everyone. If you are here and you have heard and responded to the good news of Jesus, here's the reality. We are all sinners and our sin separates us from God. We know that because later on in this passage, what does he say here? Look at verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give give, good gifts. The reality is, is that all of us, including myself, I am, I am evil, I am sinful, I am, I am opposed to God. And yet, it, this is the good news of the gospel. That's why he sent Jesus. If I weren't evil, why do we need Jesus? I need Jesus because I can't make it to God. I'm totally other than God. I need somebody to come and bridge that gap to bring me to God. And so that's what, that's what the Bible says. Christ died to bring us to God. When he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was not evil. He was not sinful. He was good. He was perfect. He was righteous. He laid down his life as the perfect one so that me, the unperfect one, through faith and believing in his sacrifice can be brought near to God. And so when I believe in Jesus and my sins are forgiven, that's the everyone here. For everyone, those who look to Jesus, who believe and respond, everyone who asks, receives. So it's for everyone, but I also want you to see this. Our prayers and our pursuit are not in vain. That's what Jesus is wanting you to get here. It's not just like ask, seek, and knock, and like just, like just do it. He says, you can hold this promise. If you ask and seek and knock, and particularly, don't, we can't pull these away right here from the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he's talking about here. When you pursue that, God's a good gift giver. When you ask, God hears, and he responds. So you know what this should do in 2019? This should encourage us. To pray often, to pray regularly, and to pray confidently in 2019. Additionally, as we think of this ask, seek, and knock, I read this this past week from from John Piper. I thought it was helpful to think of the distinctions here. And uh, he says, if a child's father is present, like this morning, I'm sitting at the kitchen table just finalizing some sermon prep. And my kids walk up to me and they say, hey, dad, I'm present. So they just ask. But later on this morning, the question was asked to me, hey, where's mom? She wasn't at the kitchen table. I said, I don't know. So what do you do? You go seek. 
you may go and find that mom is in the door, in the room with the door closed, and so you knock. And so here's what Piper says. The point seems to be that it doesn't matter whether you find God immediately close at hand, almost, almost touchable with his nearness, or hard to see, and even with barriers between he will hear and he will give good things to you because you look to him and not another. So whether you today really sense the presence and nearness of God as if you could touch him and you, could, you feel like you could just ask, or whether you feel like God is distant and you've got to go seek and knock, the promise is no matter how you feel, God hears and he responds when you come and pursue him. So how does that relate to you? You may be here today and be like 2018 was one of the best years of my life and I feel like I am, I'm just the closest to God that I've ever been. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm gonna be the one who's gotta go do some searching and to go knock. The promise is God longs for you to come and pursue him and he will hear and he will respond. Finally, as we look at this passage, in verse 11, 10 and 11, we have confidence that God is a good father and that he's a good gift giver. I mean, Jesus asked some pretty silly questions here, right? I mean, look at verse 9. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? The, the way the question's being asked, the obvious answer is, who would, like, you guys do that? Hey, you've asked for bread, but this rock kind of looks like bread. I think I can, like, I'll give them that. You know, we just came through Christmas, and, like, your kids asked for all kind of, like, you, and we're going to get to this in a second, but, like, in our common grace, even though we're evil, I want to give good gifts to my kid. My kids come and ask me, hey, Dad, I want, like, Zoe's like, I want to, she's been asking for a dog for, like, years. I don't know that she's ever going to get a dog. You know, sometimes you just, you know, for various reasons, I'm not anti-dogs, but, you know, I love my daughter, but no to dog right now. Um, but you, you want to give good gifts. And so, no, you're not going to give him a rock. He, he gives another one. If then, um, if he asks for a fish, we give him a serpent. No, you're not going to do that. No parent would do this. But what's his point? Verse 11. If you then who are evil and had to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If we flawed and sinful and evil earthly parents can give good gifts how much more confidence should we have to come before the perfect heavenly father who has all wisdom and knowledge and ask? God is not, we should not have a begrudging mindset as if like God is saying, I want to give you the kingdom this is going back to the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus says, pray like this. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's not just a command, but an invitation to come and ask for the kingdom. This is important because your view of God shapes your pursuit of him. Your view of God shapes 
your pursuit of him. Let me give you an option here. If a child thinks his father is stingy, ill-tempered, and abusive, that ask would be meaningless. Right? But on the other hand, what if there is a strong confidence that this child knows that the father enjoys giving and the father has greater wisdom and experience that I can ask him for anything. And so we come in 2019 with confidence to approach God with trust in his goodness. And that should drive us to persistence as we ask him. Let me just... Let's just do a few diagnostic questions before we move on to the next section. How would you describe your pursuit of God right now? You don't have to speak out loud. If you were to say from zero to ten, like Jesus is saying, ask and keep asking, seek, keep seeking, knock, keep knocking, where would be your your pursuit? What would it take today to move that to the next level? And I say, God, this is where I am today. Would you, would you increase? Maybe you don't go from a one to 10 today, but I'll take a one to two. And, and, and as you go to a two, say, okay, God, I'm going to trust and, and, and seek you. And God, would you continue to provide? And, and would you work in my life that, that I would increasingly say, your face, Lord, I want to seek. What would need to change in your life this week? for your life to be described as one who asks and keeps asking, seeks and keeps seeking, knocks and keeps knocking. And then let me ask you this. Does your prayer life reveal confidence in the goodness of God? Maybe today your, your response is to say, you know what, God? I have wrong views of you that are shaping and, and hindering my pursuit of you. And so your response today is to repent of wrong views of him and to say, God, would you just grant me faith to believe you are good and you're a good gift giver. So we persistently pursue others. The second thing that I want us to see in this next passage is that we persistently love others. Verse 12 is known as the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Before I unpack this, let me just step back, step back for a second. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, he argues that this is um, an inclusion of the Sermon on the Mount from, verses, from chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So if you go back to chapter 5, in the, in the beginning here, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then now in chapter 7, verse 12, we have this golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is how the sermon's coming to an end. And, and by saying an inclusion, we have a reference at the beginning to this fulfillment of law and the prophets. And now we have it here at the end. And here's the point. The point is that this is reminding us that the Sermon on the Mount is concerned that the way of the kingdom fulfills the law and the prophets, namely the Old Testament. 
Jesus is coming in as the one who's saying, all of that that was in the Old Testament is preparing you for me. I am the fulfillment, and the way of the kingdom is the fulfillment of that. And so when he gives us the golden rule here, it's similar to the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. How did that get started? The Pharisees said, hey, Jesus, tell us which of the commands is the greatest? And he says this, the greatest is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't want to conflate the two because there's differences, but there's a lot of similarities here. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. I can hear as I read that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what we've got to be careful of doing. Our tendency is, hey, let's pull out Matthew 7, 12. I'll pick that one. Hey, I can live by that one. And I'm going to leave some of the other things that I don't agree with. In fact, if you go to Tufts University, this is what you're going to find. You go in their chapel, and they're, they're Unitarian Universalists. That's their faith background as a university. They're going to have a diagram in their chapel that describes this Unitarian theology. And what you have is some of the major religions of the world. All the major religions. For Christianity, and what they've done is they've pulled out from every religion to create these are the things among all religions that we can, we can choose from and we can unite around. What is the one they choose from Christianity? This is the verse. This is it. Now here's what we can't do. We can't just pull Matthew 7, 12 out and say this is Christianity. Because how do I know, like, what, what gives me a framework for how I, I'm to treat others or what I would want them to do to me? It's the kingdom. Jesus shapes and helps me think about the truth of God's word. How am I to think about how I treat others or, or what, how I would wish others would treat me? So for instance, we go back to chapter five and we think about lust and adultery and that shapes how I'm going to treat somebody else. What would I want them to do to me? What would I want them to do to my spouse? Do also to them. You guys see where I'm going here? Now here's what, here's what we've got to do here. We've got to connect the golden rule with what we just looked at in verses 7 through 11. And I would say in some ways 7 through 11 is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ask, seek, knock, pursue him. Verse 12, love your neighbor. They're, they're not, you can't divorce these two here. You guys with me? And so, as we think about this, let's think about this question. Why should we treat others this way? He's laid it out. I mean, it's really simple. I mean, wouldn't this not change your 2019? How do you want others to treat you when you're driving your car? Go do likewise. How would you like others to speak to you? Hey, in your workplace, how do you, how do you want your coworkers to interact with you? Shaped by the kingdom values. Do so to them. How would you like your spouse to treat you? How would you, if you were your child in your home, how would you like them to speak? How would you like your parent to speak to you? Like, it really shapes, like, when you start going through an others-focused life, that you're not just pursuing yourself. 
when I, man, when God really rocked my world in college, one of the first books that, that I came across was A.W. Tozer by, called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Anybody read any Tozer? Man, I love me some. I see some hands there. Yes, man, some Tozer. Man, I, I love some Tozer. About named one of my kids A-Dub, but I didn't. Um, but I was this close, like last minute second. Um, that was funny. <laughs> that was not in my sermon notes, by the way. Uh, he says this. There's a chapter in there where he's reflecting on the Old Testament. And he reminds the people of the tabernacle and the temple. And you, you come to the temple, and what, what's there separating you from, like, the holy of holies, like the very presence of God? What is it? It's the veil. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple? That veil was torn. But what he argues, he says sometimes there's still a veil in our lives that are hindering us from the presence of God. And you know what the veil is? It's me. It's myself, my self-centeredness, my self-dependence. It's all the things that I want to do with my life. And Jesus is calling us here to, I mean, this is why Jesus says when he says, hey, you want to follow me? What does he, what does he tell his disciples to do? He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and do what? Follow me. If you are going to step into 2019 and let the virtues of the kingdom radically shape you, you've got to die. And if you're going to treat others the way you want to be treated, you've got to die. John Chastain's got to die. And so that's daily saying, God, I need your grace that I would die so I would think about others and not just myself. That's how the, that's how the, the gospel comes and shapes not just your Sunday mornings, but when you leave here and every interaction you have with somebody else. The motivation why we treat others this way well, I think it's pretty obvious. We don't treat them this way so that they'll treat us a certain way. That would be wrong, right? Hey, go treat others. Do unto others as you would have them do to you so that like, it's like some manipulative thing. I'm going to go treat them so that I can manipulate their responsibility. That's not why he's telling us to do this. Rather, here's the reason. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Such behavior sums up the law and the prophets. It, it's behavior that conforms to the virtues of the kingdom of God that he's just laid out here. You could go back through the whole Sermon on the Mount and take this principle and say, how, how does what Jesus say about, about marriage, about oaths, about loving my enemies, about giving, and apply that to Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others as they would have you, you would have them do unto you. It basically summarizes the entire body of this sermon. As we strive to live in the kingdom, we should be striving to treat others the way in which we want to be treated. So let me just give you a diagnostic test here. Or maybe it's a question that you can ask as you go about your day. What would I like done to me if I were in this situation? Just simple. Just asking that question. When you've got, man, you don't know how to respond. And as you're seeking God, God, if I'm in their shoes, how would I want to be treated? It's love your neighbor as yourself. Finally, 
We persistently pursue God. We persistently love others. We persistently follow Jesus. Let's look at verses 13 and 14, and we'll wrap up. The Sermon on the Mount concludes with four warnings, each offering paired contrast. We're not going to cover all four. We're just going to do the first one. But here the, here the paired contrast. And this one, it's the narrow and the wide gate. But next week, Pastor Reddy is going to look at the, the two trees, the good fruit and the bad fruit. We're going to look at the two claims, and then we're going to look at the two builders in 24 through 27. The purpose of these warnings, as we remember, we're wrapping, he's wrapping up this sermon. He's given out the kingdom virtues. He said, come and see, God gives. It's a focus on the judgment to come and the pathway for entering the kingdom of God in eternal life. Let's just briefly look at these. We see the wide gate and we see the narrow gate. Verse 13 is, is a command. It's an invitation. Enter by the narrow gate. That's the gate you want to go in. And he's going to tell us why in a second, but first he's going to look at the wide gate. And he describes the wide gate this way. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. You may have a footnote there. If you go down to the bottom, some manuscripts for the way is wide and easy. That word easy there, as I've read, many scholars think the word is not necessarily easy, but the word there is broad. The way is wide and the way is broad or, or spacious that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So what do we see here? The wide gate. It's broad and spacious. It's popular. It leads to destruction. Jesus gives us two ways. The wide gate and the narrow gate. What does he mean by wide here? Hey, in, in the wide gate, by being wide and spacious, you basically can you can follow the ways of the world, which basically says, I can decide what's right in my own eyes. What's true for me is true for me. Don't tell me. Like, that's the wide gate. You can create your own religion. You can create your own worldview. The majority of the world is heading this way. And he says, this is the pathway to destruction. This destruction is is not just a ceasing existence of life, but an eternal plunge and into a hopeless destiny of death. But on the other hand, the narrow gate, he describes it this way in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. The, the narrow gate, he says here, it's, it's narrow, it's confining, it's restrictive. What does he mean here when he talks about the narrow gate? By using this word narrow, to enter into this gate, it's to come and submit to the lordship of Jesus. That's what he means by narrow. This is the way. It's the kingdom values. And it's, as I said, it's not to pick and choose. That's the wide gate. Those who want to just come to the Bible and pick and choose, they're their own God. You see that? They're, decide, they're the ultimate decider. of. They're creating their religion by picking and choosing. We come humbly and submit and respond. That's the narrow way. D.A. Carson, his commentary, says this. Poverty of spirit's not easy. 
Prayer is not easy. Righteousness is not easy. Transformed God-centered attitudes are not easily achieved. In fact, these things are impossible for us apart from God's grace. There's no room for me to set my opinion against the Lord's. No room to set goals in any way at cross purposes to His. No room to form attachments which vie for the central place of the Lord Jesus must have. That's what he means by narrow. We come humbly and we say, Jesus, you lead in God. I'm following. It's narrow. It's not popular. He says, few find it. It's hard. We're going to see later on that Jesus is going to say, those who want to follow me, be prepared for persecution. It's not the easy pathway. But there's good news. What does he say here? For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Implicitly here, Jesus is inviting his disciples into the way of life. Life here now and life eternal. So as we wrap up, I want to invite our band to come down. They're going to get ready to close us out with a song. But stay locked in here with me for a second. You may be here today and... And, and you're not sure what this whole Jesus thing is about. I want to be clear with you. The life Jesus calls you into is not an easy life. It's a hard life. The life Jesus calls you into is not the most popular life. You don't make the decision by how many people choose this or that. At the end of the day, we've all got to make decisions on what is the truth of life. Who is God? What is life about? What is eternal life about? The reason I'm here today pleading with you to enter by the narrow gate is that I believe Christianity is the way and the truth to eternal life. I believe it provides the best explanation for the world that we live in. And I really believe that Jesus lived, he died, and he's alive today, which shapes Christianity above every other religion. He's not dead. He's alive. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's inviting you today into eternal life. Is it easy? No. But he does say this, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. The pathway to enter into the narrow gate isn't easy, but it is the pathway to life. I would just plead with you, don't head down the pathway that's wide. That's one that many in our world choose. And, and in that path, they want to be their own God. They want to choose their own morality. They want to decide on their own ethics. But when we realize that we are distorted by sin, we are limited in our knowledge, we need somebody who knows everything to tell us what is true. And that's what we have in God's word. We have God who has shown us in Jesus Christ that he is God, who's verified that this is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I have confidence in this, not because I'm great or I have all the knowledge, but because somebody who is has come and shared us with these things that are true, and you can trust it today. The way you enter into the narrow gate 
is by confessing your sin. You empty yourself and you look to Jesus. Jesus is the narrow way. And you say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And you come and you follow him, not just today, but forevermore. As we think about 2019, I want to close with a prayer from the pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. I'm going to pray it for myself. I would encourage you as you read it to pray it for yourself that God would set our lives on a relentless, persistent pursuit of him this year. And as a result, the values of the kingdom will be ever more present in our life as a result. This is how Tozer prays. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. Yes. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. This year, begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered for so long. In Jesus' name, amen.